Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. Now, that might be the mission of the nonprofit that you are working at, or of your nonprofit consultant, the many different missions that you work with. All right, we are now in November. Yes, folks, we are. So we have a lot of great things coming up for the end of the year uh, for you nonprofits and you nonprofit consultants to hear about on the podcast. So um, I had Sean Kosofsky on a couple of weeks ago, Christina Edwards on last week talking about different end of year fundraising campaigns. And make sure you join us on November 15th. 15th, uh, Sean, Christina, and myself, as we will be talking about the 15 tips nonprofit makeover. So you'll definitely want to check that out. You can definitely check it out in today's show notes or at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash events. So it's where we have all of our webinars and different things going on. Um, if you want to get the show notes for today, um, definitely go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 244. So in today's podcast episode, I have a wonderful guest on the show, Aaron Labax. So Erin has 25 years of teaching professional and school writing. She definitely is has a great wealth of knowledge in writing. She has a master's degree in rhetoric and writing, a bachelor's in international relation, a secondary teaching credential, and she has a certificate as a global coach. She has done a lot to teach writing and different strategies of writing for universities, but also in the real world for business writing. So it's great, Erin, she reached out to me she's like I'd love to come on your podcast and after seeing what she does I was like oh my goodness you guys are gonna get so much value from the conversation with Erin today she also has a new book out the high value writing book which is real strategies for real world writing so a lot of really good dialogue about writing but how does this help you you who are listening out there who may be wanting to write grants Well, she teaches concise writing, reader-centered, meaning-forward, and empowering for writer and reader processes. And that's what high-value writing is. And how that can help is to develop confidence through writing clearly, concisely, and with perfect. And the thing about those three things, clear, concise, and purpose, are all different technical skills that you need for grant writing. So this is really important. She brings a fresh perspective for business writing and how you can interweave that into your grant writing. We even talk about emojis today and how that all goes into uh, writing. She also gives you some great processes to write more succinctly and she gives you some great tips. You guys are absolutely gonna get a lot out of this episode today with Miss Erin Labax, so please stay tuned. And before we share our discussion with Aaron, I also just want to say uh, the Grant Writing and Funding podcast is brought to you by Grant Writing and Funding. Please do check out all of our resources at grantwritingandfunding.com where you can join our free hub haven where you're going to get a ton of free resources right away in a beautiful online portal. And you get a, a weekly email where we give you different resources in our newsletter. So a lot of great things. You can see all of our upcoming trainings, any sales we have going on. 
on, as well as just different articles that we curate and different resources that we curate um, that we know will be useful for you um, working in the fundraising world of nonprofits or as a nonprofit consultant. So do join our free hub haven at grantwritingandfunding.com. And for all of today's resources and to find out where to find Erin and so much more, do jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 244. All right, guys, here's Erin. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and advance mission of the nonprofit you work at, or if you're a consultant, the many different nonprofits you work with. And we have a wonderful show as used today with amazing Erin Labatt. And she is going to be talking about high value writing. Now, you might say, what in the world is that? And what we're really looking at is how do your words actually maybe help you get more funding right? and what right. you actually utilize with your words in your grants, in your crowdfunding campaigns, in your emails, right? And how um, actually, how does that help you bring, ooh, tongue tied there. How does it help you bring you up as a leader as well in the nonprofit or as a consultant? Because how you communicate is key in relationships. Relationships equal funding, whether that's getting a client as a nonprofit or whether it's getting a grant, et cetera. So I'm really excited to talk about the power of words with Erin Labax. Thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Holly. I'm excited to talk with you. And I think you're right. You know, we can really drive relationships and emotions just through our word choice. And we want to be intentional about that. Absolutely. And I love this because not only are you an author, because I love that, you're also an international educator. And I have a sweet spot for that. We mentioned as we were talking before, um, I've dabbled into education and teaching. Um, but my mom, you don't know this because I have to tell you, but my mom has been an educator for more than 35 years internationally um, around the world. And and I just love her look. She gets so excited about education. And I think that's what has really inspired me to write my book uh, for grants and to do other things because education is key in, in helping grow a message or learn skills and get people to another level. So I think that's just awesome. So thank you for being an educator for more than 25 wow. years and, and serving right. so many people around the world. So mm. yeah, yeah, thanks. No, it, it really is um, the sort of access point for a lot of people, both education and writing, knowing that we can use our words to meet our goals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've gotten to teach in a couple countries and just noticed the way um, people think a little differently about language with different cultures, which is also important since we all write to people from many cultures. And there's a lot to learn from the way we write around the world. Yes. You know, it's it's interesting. I was just uh, several months ago, I did a webinar and I was talking about gender um, inequity in nonprofits, right? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because there was a lot of people saying, why aren't you using the word inequality? And I said, well, that's a little bit different because even if we all have like that picture of the boy and the ladder, you know, to the tree, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, if you don't have an additional ladder to get you up, that's equity. If it's just like everyone has the same ladder, but you might not have the same height, you're not going right. to the tree. So that's equality versus inequity. And I thought, okay, that's, that's why, right. And to know why we use certain words because words are so powerful because they have meaning behind them. And I think that's what's so important is the meaning 
behind the words that we use. So I'm really excited that you uh, are on the show to talk about this and, you know, to talk really about how do we make those decisions to choose our words? Why is that important? Like, let's just throw that on the table because some people might say, ah, oh, right. why is that important for grants? Let's go ahead and throw, throw it right into the cage here. Why is it important? For yeah, grants? yeah. No, I mean, that is the central question, right? Like, does it really matter which words I pick in, in all these different types of documents when we're putting together a grant proposal? Um, and in our other writing, but you're right, there is meaning behind the words. And what I often tell people in sessions is, I think we, we derive two types of meaning when we read a sentence, for example, we derive informational meaning, like, oh, this grant is asking for these things. And we derive emotional meaning, which is how we have an emotional reaction to the words, sometimes mm -hmm. accidentally. Mm -hmm. And it can be as little, you know, I'll often open up a workshop with if your supervisor said, go attend the writing workshop, or if they said, go enjoy the writing workshop, would you have a different emotional reaction to your supervisor from yeah. the one word difference? <laughs> Completely, yeah. right? And so, yeah, that's the EQ side of writing, the emotional intelligence side where our readers are not just picking up on our information, they're picking up on their own version of our intent of how we're representing our relationship with them. And of course, they may not think about that the way we intended because we all have our own interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we do our best to tailor our message to how we think our reader will react emotionally and informationally, but things like our own cultural background, our industries we've worked on in our exposure means we interpret words differently too. Yeah, I love that. I, and I, I think that's so important. I, you know, that you're talking about this is a business proposal, grant is, but it's also you have to convey story, emotion, et cetera, as well. And and what I've often seen a lot of um, grant writers do is really convey this flowery message of despair. Okay, <laughs> I really know how to say it, the flowery message of despair. Whereas a grant reviewer, I have a checklist that I have to score the grant by, right? So mm -hmm. if you're telling me how emotionally awful the situation is, I don't have that. That I don't have a thing to say, you get 10 points for being emotionally in right. despair, right? I don't. So I can't score that. So it, as awful as it might come across, if I don't see statistics, if I don't see measurements, if I don't see clear words that you know, I have to connect with for my scoring, you're just mm -hmm. not going to score high, right? So there's a part of that to say, we don't want to take emotion completely out of grants, because I don't think that's right either. But there needs to be some clear words that connect with the questions that I have as a review right. with the criteria, right? So can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, right, we want to keep in mind, unlike some of the other things we write in our life, a grant proposal or a grant application is being read with some kind of a rubric. Yeah. Um, there's a criteria, there's a scorecard, a matrix, however we want to put it. And we might have experienced that in college with writing a paper with a rubric. Mm -hmm. um, but often, you know, we're just not in that mindset of remembering that we are writing for somebody to find things in here. Um, and I think we've all been sort of schooled in our upbringing that we write to show what we know because that's why we wrote in school. It was show that you understand you know, this war by writing a paragraph about it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's a big mindset shift that we forget, I think, or we don't notice we need to make explicitly 
I am no longer writing to show what I know. And I'm also no longer writing to someone who promises they're going to read the whole thing. Yeah. I'm now writing in a scenario where they could bail on this or they don't care what I know. They care what their criteria is looking for. And so we're writing to what the reader needs now mm -hmm. and about, I love your, you know, that sort of oxymoron or quandary of a flowery words of despair. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we want, it's a balance, right? Because we're trying to show this is meaningful. This is important. We should have emotion around this, but taking the reader's time with flowery words of despair can feel like disrespect to the reader who's busy and who's looking for their criteria. So what I often suggest instead is that we can show emotion while still being concise and businessy, like with that example of go enjoy the writing class or go attend the writing class. It was one word different. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to add a flowery sentence of I care about you so much and I can't wait to hear what you think of the class. All I had to do was change one verb mm -hmm. so we can be concise and yet still convey emotion when we're that intentional about our words. I love that. I love that balance. Cause yeah, you could be like, oh, if you wanna, you know, make them feel safe, are you okay? Do you wanna agree with it? No, 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 just change one more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Love that. So, and that's wonderful, you know, um, and looking at that too. So as far as just grants, we'll just hang out here for a minute. And then I really wanna get to emails because mm -hmm. emails are so important to know how to write well. Um, and I've seen so many just ooh, <laughs> break relationships. It can be a little embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. It can get cringy. Yeah. yeah. So on grants too, I know I, uh, what I've seen a lot too is um, the words in the needs section um, aren't very clear a lot of times and they're actually showing solutions, right? So in, when you're in this needs, they have to, the reviewers have to score what are the needs. And that's basically looking at statistics, looking at testimonials, looking at case studies, et cetera, that you can show. And a lot of times instead, a lot of grant writers will say there's a need for this homeless shelter, which will be, which will serve 50,000 people or whatever that is. And that's the solution, right? That's not the need. The need is why is there a need for a homeless shelter, right? Mm -hmm. And pointing it out there. So um, that's what I've seen. And I've also seen the flip side of that is just for people to say, well, there's a lack of homeless shelters and lack of is not clear. It's ambiguous writing. So I really talk about don't use ambiguous writing. So can you kind of talk about that? Because that can be hard to know what to say then if you can't use lack of few really very all of those kind of words right so you can oh, kind of definitely yeah we don't want to be overly subjective in those moments with the reallys and the varies and it's kind of like well what's really dire to this person versus really dire you know it's like we can't use words like expensive without knowing each other's gauge for what's expensive right but it can be hard yeah, you're, it's kind of like, well, if I can't be flowery about my despair and I can't say the solution, what can I say? Um, and so what I would look for there, let's take that example. The solution is to open this additional shelter. And the, so the problem is not that there isn't one right now. The problem is that there is a need for one. Yeah. So we need to look at what are those humans experiencing now that is not served by nothingness, but would be served by a shelter and so perhaps it's something like, oh, the, the children in this community who are living 
over by the river or whatever are seeing these um, sort of slips in their grades at school. Like, what are we seeing happen with people? Mm -hmm. And we can still be, we can still balance emotion and business there. We can say, you know, school is often um, a good gauge of success. And we're seeing children not be able to succeed in school because of a difficult um, insecurity around food at home. Um, and so that is a real specific, tangible human need that is not also the solution. Yes. Um, so we can look at, hey, this is what we're losing by not having access to food and security. This will help us get that food and security. Mm -hmm. And so kind of the need and the solution need to have the same criteria too, mm -hmm. right? The need has to be, if only we had A and B, we could do better. The solution then has to pair up, this will provide A and B, right? but they're not the same as each other. I love that. I love how you broke that down. Yeah. Cause that's, you're, you're still telling a story and mm -hmm. it's very, very clear on what that is and how, and then the solution, how that can really help. So I love that it's still putting a human, humane, you know, portion on that because we don't want to lose that. Sometimes it's the opposite is stat, 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 stat. And it's like, Ooh, don't stat dump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. These are, these are humans as well, looking at this, right. And having to yeah. and make sense of it. So that's a really great example. So thank you on that. So, um, the other thing too, like I, I asked or I touched on is our emails. So emails really do need support <laughs> or we need support on how to write them a lot of times. We time, do. We do. Right? Yeah. So can you kind of talk about what are some of the the biggest struggles you've seen in emails and what are some biggest kind of solutions that you've put forward to help people in writing uh, effective emails? Definitely. I agree. It's crucial. Emails are literally where our relationships take place right now. We all work with people we've never talked to on the phone and we'll never meet in person. And we literally know this person through written words. I mean, you and I, Holly, are an example. Yeah. This is our first time talking, but we kind of, when we arrived at this meeting, I felt trust for you already because we'd had good emails back and forth and we'd talked on LinkedIn and you had used your words in a way that built a relationship with me. Um, and so, you know, we can all think, yeah, good. And then notice how it's so easy for us to talk and record this together because we already built that trust. Mm -hmm. um, and this is even more true, of course, in the remote work world where often, you know, I work with a lot of young leaders who've bit, become managers real recently and they say, oh my gosh, my team members are all at home and they are all lonely. Uh -huh. And email is the way that we get to know each other often. So what we want to think about with emails is that we are not just writing to inform, we're writing to connect. Mm -hmm. Your email is how you create a relationship with somebody. So in addition to things like clarity, we always want to be thinking about respect for the reader, respect for their time, respect um, for the way we explain things. We don't want to accidentally take away their choice or disempower them in some way. Um, and for sort of an easy three-step process that I encourage in my classes. And I think especially if you're writing to try to work with someone on a grant or get to next steps, mm -hmm. um, I suggest people put their main point right at the beginning. And if you're not sure what that is, write down your five W's, who, what, where, when, why. Mm -hmm. Put that into a sentence, you know, where you're letting them know what is this email for? 
then you're going to have a sentence that's a call to action, which is what is the reader's role? The main point is like, hey, here's what's up. Here's why you're receiving an email. The call to action is what's your role? And we want to be clear there. It might feel sometimes rude to give instructions in an email, or we might feel bossy. But what would be ruder is to leave our reader not knowing what they're supposed to do, which now means they're going to spend time stressing out, excruciating, mm -hmm. calling you up, asking their friends what they think, and worrying. So you do want to have a call to action, and you probably want to have a command verb in there, like, please provide your edits by Thursday. Yes. Um, and so, you know, those two things can really help. And putting both of those at the beginning, don't bury the lead. Mm -hmm. And then I also encourage people to use a two-part subject line that hints at both. You can like topic colon action. So sort of like food drive colon donate next week, where I have the topic, a colon, and then that command verb of what to do. Now it's by the time I open my email, my brain is already poised to understand it. Mm -hmm. I know why you've written it to me. And I actually know that I have a role too. Yeah. And those are respectful things to do for your reader. The, the worst thing we can do for our readers is not do the work of making our emails easy to use, because if we don't do the work, they we're asking them to do the work. Somebody's going to do the work of figuring out what the heck this email means. And it's better if it's us, the reader, the writer, than the reader having to figure it out. Yes. I love that so much because, I mean, this is so important when I get, I feel like there's so many people working from home. There's so much more email, right? And it is, like you said, it's communication now and it's how we are developing relationships. And even maybe that's our entire relationship with that person is via email. And I've almost feel like there's become an, an email laziness, should I say? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that's also because a lot of people are emailing from their phones and it's, it's harder, you know, to write emails from your phone sometimes, right. right? I mean, you can use voice message and that sort of thing can help it. But sometimes, mm -hmm. um, you know, there is this, like, there's not capitalization, there's no salutation, there's, no, you know what I mean? There's no, like, it's just kind of like, hey, blah, 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 you know what I mean? And then there's like no sign off. It's just kind of like demand. And I get right. it. People are busy and they want to get through their millions of emails or even hundreds, right? That they get every single day. Like realistically, a lot of people get over a hundred emails a day, um, you know, for better leaders and it's a lot to get through. So how can, what can people do who are super busy, who are kind of just caught in that response email, you know, right. is that okay? You know? Well, I think it's a good question that you raise, and I think it depends on the relationship, whether it's okay or not. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally, if I know someone well, mm -hmm. I don't really have to worry about the relationship through my email because we've already established it. Yeah. And so they already know, hey, Aaron does care about me. So if I say, you know, when do you think you can get the edits? They know that I'm not being aggressive because they already know me. Right. However you know, with your examples, I can actually think of twice the time that that happened to me one yesterday and one today. I got an email yesterday with no salutation and it did ask me for something. Mm -hmm. And then I got one today that said, we need you to blah, blah, blah in the first sentence. And I thought either of these would have been fine if I knew this person, but I didn't know either of them. Uh... And so if you don't know someone, Hey, you know, we need a little context yeah. Why am I asking for this? You know, and they could have said something like, it's time to do X and Y. To that effect, we need you to blah, blah, blah. 
but they just started with, we need you too. And so I do think it's kind of what we could do is we could imagine the conversation being out loud. And if you're talking with a good friend, you can run up and be like, could you get me a pizza when you're at the store? But if you're not talking to a good friend, you would never run up and say, I need your application by Thursday. Right. You would say, oh, hi, I haven't seen you since the last conference. Mm -hmm. Hope you've been doing well. Yeah. I'd love to have your application by Thursday. So when you're writing your emails, you know, try picturing a person reading it or picture yourself saying it to that person. What would their face look like? And really consider that it's the relationship that you have with that particular reader that determines what's okay to say. Yeah. It's not, you know, we don't write in one way for everyone. Right. We should alter our writing to each person based on the relationship, based on things, even like um, cultural norms in the industry, yeah. cultural norms in, in terms of like hierarchy and respect, depending on where someone's from or whatever might be considered normal expectations for them. Um, and so our emails should look quite different from one another based on who's going to receive them. I love that. I love that relationship. Yeah. Cause it is, it's like, sometimes it's like, well, that's okay. I know that person. That's just how I talk or whatever. And I'm fine, but sometimes yeah. right. I get it. And I'm like, I don't really know this person. And I'm really, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to emotionally take what they're saying. You know what I mean? Right. Because there's that it's, and I think that's kind of too, on the other hand, like I'll get an email from someone I've never met and they want to build that relationship in the beginning. And I've been guilty of doing this exact same thing where I'm like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs because I want to like <laughs> explain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like getting those emails now, I'm like, people don't have time to read all of that, especially if they don't know you, you know what I mean? Like if they know you, uh -huh. it's a story, but in the beginning to try to develop relationships with people there needs to be some of that context build up, but at the same time, what's too much? You know what I mean? Yes, yes, that's such an important question. And it's it's kind of like, number one, what's too much? And then secondly, what is too much now? Maybe yeah. I, I'm gonna tell them this other stuff, but maybe not till I get to know them a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a wonderful story about that from a recent participant in a workshop in a leadership development program. So he's a new boss, super conscientious. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, is trying to upscale and up-level his writing now that he's an exec. Um, but he shared with the class, sometimes we do true confessions where we share our, our writing fails because it's humorous and it's human. Like we all do it. No big deal. Um, he said, well, I wanted to update my supervisor on this cool project that I've been leading now that I've been promoted. So I wrote her, as your example, literally a five paragraph email <laughs> about the update. And he's like, oh, I'm so thorough, you know. And then later in the class, he was reflecting and he said, you know what, everybody, I know that I know my supervisor. She is a bottom line person. She's not a person who wants all the details. She wants the bottom line. And so we said, well, if you knew her, I mean, I didn't say this, but one of his colleagues, if you knew her, then why did you add all that? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you guys, the truth is I was proud of myself. Aww. He's like, looking back, I was so proud of the work that I did on the project that I just kept going on and on. But yeah. to me, it was need to know for me, but it was not need to know for her. Um, and so we have to judge, is this need to know for them? And is it need to know for them right now? Yeah, um, I did an example just recently. I was emailing somebody about 
possibly doing some sessions with their group. And instead of, you know, my instinct in the past has been to kind of go overboard and this is all the great stuff I offer on and on and on about all these benefits. And I've learned, you know what, this is step one. Mm -hmm. I can save that for later. Step one is, do you want to have a conversation? Yeah. You know, I don't need to barrage the person with five paragraphs of all my amazing stuff. And so what we need to do is shift our perspective and remember unless you're journaling or taking notes, you are not writing for you. Mm -hmm. Every time we write, it is for someone else. And it's a huge mindset shift. We don't learn that in school because again, we're writing to show what we know, Um, but we're not writing for us. And so we always have to start with the reader's perspective of how much of this information would they want and how much of it would they want today? And if we know them well, how much of of it would they want today given what they're dealing with this week? Sometimes we even know the person's daily realities and we can, uh, you know, adjust our writing a little bit. Like, I'd like to talk to you about this grant possibility. Mm-hmm. Could you get back to me about an initial meeting? You right. know, some small asks, let it build up over time because mm-hmm. you're right. If we open an email and there's a wall of text, we're probably saying, oh, I'll do that later. Yep. Yeah. And that's just the reality, right? It's just because there's so much email these days. And I think that's why it's so important that we're spending time on this, this subject here today, because it is something a lot of people don't know how to do. And one of mm-hmm. the biggest things I've seen that has eliminated a lot of email threads has been apps like Calendly. <laughs> so I just want to throw that out there too. Right. Like people use apps if you're trying to make appointments. Like it's like, when are you available? Well, when are you available? Well, give me here's these days. Well, I'm not available those days. Like, oh my gosh, like I love these apps and these opportunities to be able to schedule meetings. Um, they have been because you can just send somebody, well, here's my schedule, and then they pick a day and it's done, right? So those types right. of things are really good. I think to eliminate email threads because really we want, you know, sometimes we want to be able to um delete some of those emails to get rid of some emails that we don't even need to write. Right. So are those, are there, is there any other tips that you have on like some software apps, or maybe just something you can do in your email writing to minimize just email threads that just don't need to be there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one thing is just to adjust our thinking from less from usually we think it's better to give more information and better to include more people. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to be caring. We're like, let me help you by giving you all this info and let me include you by adding you to this email chain. But in today's world, it's really, we want to default to less. If that person doesn't need to be involved today, don't involve them. If that paragraph doesn't need to be said today, don't say it yet. Um, And I encourage emailers, you can literally make yourself a little template, main point, five W's, call to action. You may be done with your email. I love that. You know, we don't want to do the instinct to repeat ourselves in case they didn't get it. That's just more room for confusion. We want to say it once Mm -hmm. um, and say it well. And then I would also, you know, to your point about Calendly, I know some people are using um, copy.ai to help write copy. Mm -hmm. And I think it has some benefits. Um, And also WordRake, I think, helps you look at tone. Um, I think those are WordRake, like raking, um, helps you look a little bit at the tone of your words. Because often my complaint about the AI um, options is that they don't have that sort of tonal wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know they're trying to, 
and they're getting better but we wouldn't want to let that be our last pass through the writing because they still don't take into account things like culture which can include generation you know generational norms industry norms departmental norms you know is it maybe it's more acceptable to write in a really excited flowery manner with someone I do marketing with maybe I don't use that tone in the IT department I don't know right they might all have different flavors and cultures themselves so AI isn't quite that advanced but I do think um, things like Calendly and you know what else helps us avoid email chains is the phone occasionally I'll just say you know nobody needs to sit there and wonder what I meant I'm just going to call them um, and so there are times when we choose not to use email on purpose. Yes, I'm a big phone caller because I'm a Gen Gen X, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we still do that. Yeah, I start typing sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna call. It's gonna take less time. You know, I just can solve this real quick, like right now. So, and right. other Gen X will answer the phone. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But yeah, you can learn someone's age. Yeah. By whether they answer, no. Yeah, the younger ones, they're not, they're not going to answer their phone. So it has, you know what I mean? So like, once again, you're yeah. saying, be mindful of your reader or who you're trying to reach out to and, and what that means as far as communication. So I have a question now on email, but in a different way. So a lot of nonprofits reaching out to influencers, reaching out to potential sponsors. So corporate sponsorships, reaching out to funding sources, you know, they want, they're doing this cold email right? Mm-hmm. Do's and don'ts of cold email when you're trying to start a relationship. Any right. kind of usage they should avoid, you know what I mean? Help yeah. me right now. Like, are there any other ways or, you know what I mean? Is it just clear to say what you say or? That's a tough one, right? Because there's a balance that we need to strike because we're kind of like, well, I do need to get their attention mm-hmm. since it's cold, but I don't want to turn them off by being super crazy about trying to grab attention so much. Mm. Um, from what I've seen and heard lately, uh, authenticity is trending. Now that makes it not trend when I say it that way, um, but or it makes it not authentic, but people are very turned off by what seems like old school sales approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when we can be authentic and also be a little bit specific about maybe what that group might need this for, Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are getting over it with the sort of me talk that sales used to do. Like, here's what I can provide. Um, and also the over drama of problems that you're facing. I mean, yes, we have to talk about pain points, but I'm noticing a cultural shift where people are feeling like some of these moves are kind of antiquated yeah. and that the new sales force sees us all as humans and equal and they're less hierarchical and pushy in that way or what might be seen as pushy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think offering a little of yourself, trying to be authentic in that way, trying to use words and phrases that sound like a human would say them, Mm -hmm. um, not like a packaged phrase that, that we've maybe heard as an idiom. They just don't, they don't get the opens. And then if they do get opened, they won't build the relationship. And so there's something about how, depending on where you're at, and I know we're talking about cold emails, but if you were to get an answer and as you get to know a person, one cool trick is to offer up some kind of sharing or vulnerability and then see if they want to take a turn to do the same, Mm -hmm. you know, where you share a little tiny bit about your experience with this or your hope for this project. And then maybe they share a little bit and you kind of mirror each other's level of intimacy 
and level of sharing so that it's, um, you know, natural as you grow that friendship. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so good because it's important, right, to be able to to connect, but in a way that isn't just like, I just need you to open this email. So I'm going to just like mm -hmm. say something crazy or put like 10 emojis on it or something like that. Right. right? So um, that leads me to a question I have. Um, so emojis um, yeah. and smiley faces. I like to use them, but not overuse them. So, you know, cause I like, they add a little bit of like sparkle <laughs> to your inbox. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, a little color. Um, and then on the inside of emails, I tend to use like the old style smiley faces, sometimes emojis, not too much, but just because I feel like email can feel so detached from emotion that I want them to know, like, I'm, I'm inserting a little smile here while I write this to you, or I, you know what I mean? Or I'm inside in a little frustration here when I'm writing this or whatever. Yeah. So they don't misinterpret the words, right? Cause we're all just interpreting them. So it exactly. kind of helps with that. So do, do you like support emojis? Like what is your feel on that? I do support them. Yes. I like that question. And it's so nice to be sort of talking about writing in the real world, not just in, in the sense of rules. Right. And so you're exactly right. We use emoji on purpose to show, oh, I hope that last thing I wrote didn't sound cranky. I'm not yeah. actually cranky. It might've sounded cranky. So let me put like a wink. Yeah. Um, because you're right. We don't know how they'll interpret it. And it's also true that emails um, sort of engender a colder tone than they intend. Yeah. An email yeah. can default to feeling more cold than it would have if it were out loud or something like that. So I think it's smart to try to think about that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, so my answer will again relate to the audience, but also the situation and even the platform. I think um, I definitely support emoji on think project sharing platforms, Teams and Rike and things where you can, because we often see pretty brief responses like got it, and you don't want someone to be like, oh my gosh, did they not like what I did? They just wrote, got it, period. Right. We could say, got it, period, and then like an applause or something, right? So yeah. doing what you said to bring in that interpretation. Um, and I, but of course, we have to be very careful with audience. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who dislike emoji and think that they don't belong in business writing. So we have to be a little careful. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with a global company where, you know, they've got locations in different countries. And it was ironic because a, a French woman had come to California to work in the U.S. center, but she was French and her job was often relating with the French branch over in Paris. I kind of assumed, well, she wouldn't have an issue because she's been both French and American, but she had picked up some fun American ways of using emoji and when she did that to her French boss, she got threatened with firing. Oh my goodness. So extreme, so extreme. Yeah, they did not like that at all. Yeah. Um, and so I think if it's an email, think about, because emails can be perceived as this is supposed to be formal and correct. Right. So you want to check, you know, is this an audience who's maybe somebody like me who likes being, you know, we both like being friendly when we talk, you know, but there are groups of people who would consider that something that like dismisses you or knocks you down a level because they're still expecting a sort of old school generic version of professional. And so we have to think, ooh, if I'm writing to someone in an industry that's traditionally more conservative in that way, and I mean, we're all different, but often I find, for example, like 
um, a C-suite in finance mm -hmm. often prefers more sort of conservative or traditional versions of communication than, you know, a staff meeting where we're doing some art for some reason, right? It's people are different in different industries because we get taught these different mm -hmm. norms. So I would be really careful if I were writing to the CEO of a, of a credit union where I train, I'd have to get to know that person for a couple years before I, or a couple months anyway, before I would bust an emoji. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I think, I think they are extremely helpful and that they're good to use as long as you do that check first, just in case you don't want to get yourself into trouble if someone else has different feelings about them. Yes. And I love that. So yeah, as I noticed, I love using emojis in emails, but mm -hmm. I would be very, I would never use them in a grant application. No. I would write those types of things. No. So it's like mind your space too, right? Yes. What that is. I wouldn't use those with a program manager from a federal agency. You know what I mean? In an email, those types yeah. of things. So, um, I mean, unless I really got to know them, like you said, and you know yeah. I mean? these are people too, but I, I'm a, it, cause a lot of that is, like you said, it's professional writing and it's documented. A lot of those emails, if you especially are in a business relationship with somebody like a nonprofit is in a business relationship or in a contract relationship with a funding source. So those mm -hmm. documents are also trails of, you know, relationship right. that can be filed and that sort of yeah. thing. So you do want to keep those professional. Absolutely. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. So I love this conversation and I love that Me we too. talked about words and, you know, emoji apparently is a word. <laughs> it was like a word of the year. It was an actual emoji, I think back in 2020 or something like that. Yeah, but um, yeah, but I love how you talked about how you can utilize these in your grants and even email because we, we do everything with email these days, right? So it's really important right. how to write a good email. And I know people, if they're interested, can really get a great uh, book from you. So your latest book, High Value Writing, Real Strategies and Real World Writing. And I can see that behind you too. So we're there it is. Yeah, you can read from that. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. So it's an awesome book though, because it really gives um, templates as well as like, okay, you're stuck in an, you don't know how to write this email for this certain situation. Here's an example, right? So it's a lot of example. Um, it's an example book as well. So do you want to talk about your book uh, for a minute? Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, I created the book um, in response to my students uh, or learners, you know, in these professional spaces, asking for one, they would ask, you know, I like this stuff about bringing meaning and value to my words being concise and sort of economical and purposeful with my words, like we talk about in class or in presentations. But then I would say, well, I don't know what book to recommend to you because many books about writing are extremely long. Yeah. And if somebody's sitting at work trying to craft an email, you know, that's not really going to help necessarily, mm -hmm. um, or if it doesn't have examples. So I wrote this book for them, for all learners. <laughs> Um, because we're all sitting there at work kind of worrying, oh my gosh, how am I representing myself with my words? What would be a better way to be concise? Can I be concise and still be nice? Um, and the book is really like having a teacher there to say, hey, here's how you might think this through. And here's an example of what that might look like. Uh -huh. um, so it's a brief book with, it talks about, like you said, meaning, you know, the meaning behind the words and how really we, you know, we all got brought up in school to write for a word count. So we thought words just need to be there. Mm -hmm. I need 500 of them, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. That is not how we want to write now. We have to choose them with intention and make sure the meaning is 
is deep and tells a whole story because we need to be so economical with words now. People don't want 500 of them. They want 25. Yeah. Um, and so the book offers information and strategies for that kind of writing. And then it also talks about how to think about your writing relationally, mm -hmm. um, how to think about the people you're writing to and how to think about how to show them respect and build relationships with them too. I love that. And I love how you said like, no, it's okay to ask, have a call to action for an email. That's actually a sign of respect. So I, I absolutely love that. Don't be wishy-washy in your emails, just seem feeling them out, like go ahead and write, but you know, have, um, you know, compassion in your emails right. as far as like be respectful as well, if you want to get that respect back. So that's really yeah. important. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I know it's going to help people with their grant writing and with their emails and with their relationships with their funding sources and donors and so much more. So um, definitely, if you guys are interested in finding out more about Erin, check out highvaluewriting.com. I'll have it, all of these things that we talked about today in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show. We hope to have you again in the future. Any last words before we end today? I guess I'll just leave us all with one thought, but I hope I mean it empoweringly, which is that there is not one right way to write. Again, we get brought up like, you're wrong, that's right. That's not true for writing, that there's no way that could ever be true because every writing situation is different. You've got a different person reading it, a different goal, a different industry. It's impossible that there would be only one way to do writing every time. So if you are someone who feels like, well, somebody might have said this was wrong, but I think it's right for a specific reason, you may be on the right track. Oh, I love that. That's that authenticity again. So yeah, yeah. add into it. Like you're really feeling it, right? Some people, and right. that's, you're going to attract then a certain, certain people that will resonate with that style of writing, right? Right. And you're yep. going to not attract. <laughs> Yeah. It's a good filter. Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Erin, again, for coming on the show. And we will be sure to have you back on. And good luck with everything with your new book. Um, we'll definitely be checking it out more. So I love it. High Value Writing. Once again, we'll have all the links in the show notes. So thanks again. Great. Thanks so much, Holly. I enjoyed the talk. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed Aaron Labax. Once again, for all of today's show notes, do jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 244. And as always, if you love this podcast, please do me a favor, leave a review on iTunes as that does help other people's eyes find the podcast. And you can always join our free hub haven for all of our grant writing and funding resources at grantwritingandfunding.com. All right, guys, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.